Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Thank you. Uh, My next guest today uh, has been with us again many times. I asked him to come with us specifically and talk with us today because he's got great up-to-date information. He is Dr. Jerry Kornfeld. You may recognize him from Ask Dr. Jerry, uh, and he's been on you know TV shows uh, in front of audiences, um, small and large, all over, talking about uh, uh, living with quality to advanced years. For instance, living to 100 with quality. He has a couple books out called, uh, one is called Your 100-Year Heart. So, Dr. Jerry, it's, it's a pleasure to have you back with us to share tips and precautions for our listeners today. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Bill, and it is great to be back on the show with you again and to hear your voice. And uh, I'm very, very pleased to be involved because of what's going on in the world right now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a bizarre times, and a lot of people are confused about what they're hearing about. They they may not know exactly if you know what's important to do, uh, what's important not to do. So we're hoping that you could help us uh, with with tips and ideas and precautions about that. Why don't you uh, tell us t- first of all, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background, and so they can get familiar with you if they haven't heard you before. And then let's get into the subject at hand. Okay. Yeah, we got a lot of information. There's a lot of confusion. Okay. First of all, I'm I'm a family doctor, uh, graduated University of California. Uh, I got my MD there, uh, but before that, I got my um, degree in public health from UCLA. So public health is my background. My philosophy has always been that as a family doctor, uh, my most important thing to do is to get people as knowledgeable as possible about illnesses. So I always uh, dealt with my patients in two ways. Number one, I try to educate them with preventive medicine so we can prevent them from getting sick, and then... If they came in and they were already sick, my uh, MD allowed me to treat them clinically. So I had I had two ways, two directions I went through. So uh, right now, uh, my background in public health is uh, coming in very very useful. So I've got a lot of information. I want to try to clarify a lot of things. You have any questions you want to ask me? Of course, there's all kinds of questions out there. But I'd like to start off. if it's okay with you, is just going through some of the basic knowledge and sort of make this a, a 101, a public health 101 type of class. So whatever you've heard over the radio, whatever, uh, you can now get some, more, some specifics to identify what's, why you're doing these things and how you're doing them. Okay? Good, Bill. Perfect. Um, that, that's a perfect agenda. Let's, let's, let's go with okay. that. I, and, and then you, you're there. If you hear something, you want to question me, you know, we've always had that relationship. All right, very first thing, it's very, very important for everybody to understand, is that 
with any communicable disease, public health is the basis for resolving it. Uh, years ago with polio, uh, during the summer, um, they had isolation like we're having right now. They closed the movie theaters and they closed the swimming pools all during the summer because polio was transmitted during the summertime, during the warm months. So we've been dealing with communicable diseases for years. The Spanish flu, the 1918 flu, all these kinds of things. So there's two things you have to start off with. And I'm going to try to make this as, as interesting as possible, but just to give you an idea, we start off by talking about two things, how the bug gets into your body and how the bug transmits itself and leaves your body. So we call that the portal of exit, and that's how it leaves your body, and we call it the portal of entry, that's how it gets into your body. So it's very important to understand this so you can know why you're washing your hands, for example. So the portal of exit of this current virus that we're dealing with right now, the coronavirus, is a cough or a sneeze. It gets out of your body when you cough or you sneeze. The portal of entry is how it enters your body. And the primary way that this virus enters your body is through the face. So that's why you hear, don't touch your face with your hands. That's one of the prerequisites for keeping yourself healthy. Don't touch your face with your hands because your face has five portal of entries. Your eyes, two. Your nose, two nostrils, that's four. And your mouth is five. So whenever there is a droplet from a sneeze or a cough, it can get on your hands and your hands then, if you touch your face, can go to your nose or your eyes or your mouth and it gets into your body that way. So you want to, you want to keep it uh, out of there as long as you can and as best as you can. The most important thing to know, though, this virus cannot enter your body through your skin. This coronavirus does not enter your body through your skin. Okay, so you got the very first basic. It enters your body through your eyes, your two eyes, your two nostrils, or your mouth. It cannot enter through your skin. And that's very, very important to know. The other thing that... Uh, I want to sort of share with you is why it is so important to wash your hands. Because as I said, the hands transmit the droplets to your face, your body. All right, so when you wash your hands, this virus, and this is very interesting, this virus is not a living thing. That's why antibiotics will not kill it. Antibiotics have no effect on the coronavirus. It is a series of protein molecules in a, a capsule that is surrounded by a membrane, and that membrane is made of fat. So when you wash your hands with soap, soap has within it the ability to dissolve the fat that is around the coronavirus protein um, body. So when you wash your hands with soap, you're literally dissolving the membrane, the fat membrane. If you do it in warm water, because this virus does not like heat. It does not like heat. So you wash your hands in warm water. 77 degrees is preferable, but as warm as you can take it without causing you discomfort. And you have to do it for 20 seconds. By doing it for 20 seconds, you're destroying the fat membrane, 
because of the silt and the heat, and now you're exposing the virus protein that's underneath that, and that is that, that dissipating, and that no longer can transmit the virus. So you now know the portal of entry and why it's so important to wash your hands. So you always want to wash your hands before you touch any food, any locks, any doorknobs, any switches, remote control, all the things that you would touch because it does live on your hands, on your skin for a while. And so um, it's sort of important to know that wherever it goes, uh, it does have a lifespan. So if you cough and sneeze, so for example, uh, if you get some of those droplets on uh, a fabric, it'll stay on that fabric for three or four hours and still able to transmit the disease. If you get it on copper or wood, it'll stay on there for four hours and transmit the disease. If you get it on cardboard, which is a lot of the stuff that we buy in the market, stuff in cardboard, it'll stay on there for 24 hours, and now comes the long ones. Metal, 42 hours, and plastic. Oh, plastic. So much of the stuff that we buy in the market is on plastic. Plastic will stay. It'll stay on there for 42 hours. So you want to be very, very careful because that's how this thing is transmitted. So you now know how it gets into your body, and if it gets on any substances, it'll stay on those substances for a long period of time. So very briefly, let me just, let me just repeat that. Fabric, three to four hours. Copper or wood, four hours. Cardboard, 24 hours. Metal, 42. And plastic, 72 hours. The virus is going that's to incredible. remain in... Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's why this thing is so communicable. This, this coronavirus is one of the most communicable viruses there is. You know, in public health, we are always concerned about how this um, bug, to use the term, is being transmitted. And most of the time, they are viruses. And as I said before, viruses do not respond at all to antibiotics. So taking an antibiotic for a virus is a waste of money and time. But if you don't understand how the viruses work, you can get a better idea. So that's why there's all this, uh, you may hear the conversation now going on about how do we get rid of viruses. And there's a lot of talk about uh, a lot of stuff that's going on. Uh, and hydroxychloroquine, uh, it's probably you've heard about that, uh, whether or not right. we should take it. And there's a lot of debate going on. In medicine, we are very, very, very careful about any prescription that we write. We don't want to write things, and as I tell my patients, based upon anecdotal information. In other words, if you have a, a bug and you take something and you get better, well, right away you're going to go tell your neighbors or your friends. We consider that to be anecdotal because we have no double-blind studies to support it. Double-blind means that you have uh, something that is not that um, antibiotic and something that is, but you don't know what it is, and only the researchers will find out at the end of the study. So the double-blind study will tell us what effect it's had on the human body. It'll also tell us whether or not there's any harmful effect on the body. 
because we don't want to be giving something that's going to make the process worse, that's going to make you sicker. So we want to have good, adequate studies. So everything we do in medicine is based upon information. And everything that we, every time the FDA approves a drug, and they are very strict just because of that, the FDA approves a drug. It is based upon the fact that all these double-blind studies have been done, and they put them through trials with human beings, and they have phase one, phase two, phase three trial before they finally let it go to human beings. All that stuff is out there. Now, with the hydroxychloroquine, um, there isn't any of those organized studies, but there is the fact that this has been used for well over 40 years to treat malaria, to treat a disease called lupus, and it has been very, very effective. And more and more studies are coming out that say that this is a good drug for this problem. So the question that comes up, if you have somebody who has a terminal disease, and it comes up frequently in cancer, if you have somebody who has a terminal malignancy, and you have a disease that uh, may or may not be uh, responsive to a, a, some sort of a drug, well, the question comes up, well, the person's going to die. What do you lose by trying it? And so, yeah, you, so you sort of say, you know, that's right. Uh, and so now there's been some new uh, legislation passed, as a matter of fact, with certain drugs and people with terminal diseases, giving them some medication. Because what do you got to lose? They, they are terminal. Uh, they're probably not going to live. And you have a chance to live. So that is going on in a lot of research. And that's what they're thinking about hydroxychloroquine. Is if someone has got um, a bad case of the virus, and they're not doing well, and they have respiratory process. By the way, the major thing that kills people with the coronavirus is respiratory distress. It affects the lungs, and the person cannot breathe, and they die from respiratory distress. And most of the time, let's make another point clear, most of the time, the people who die from this are sick before they even got the chloroquine. They have some condition like heart mm -hmm. disease or cancer. I mean, sure, you've heard all this kind of stuff. And most of the statistics show that it's, it's men who have a pre-existing condition, and when they get this disease, it's just as like the final straw. So the question yeah. is, well, what, what are we losing by giving them hydroxychloroquine? Uh, and and it, it works. The statistics are showing all over the world. It's working to uh, hopefully eliminate the disease. But we're getting into yeah. another area now. We're getting into the area of what's going on. And we're getting into the fact that you have, and this directly relates to what you do. Because a lot of the people, and your podcast has to do with exit, with people who are retiring from medicine, from medicine, from business, and um, they're looking to see what they can do to keep themselves healthy. Uh, and that's why I've had the great pleasure of being on your show so often is because I give you clues and tips on how to keep yourself healthy. Yes. Well, well, Dr. Jerry, what, what, what can you talk about, um, you know, one of the big things that's emerging, especially here in California, is the notion that we're better off wearing masks. As a matter of fact, they're starting to, you know, kind of order that we wear, wear masks as opposed to not wearing masks 
Um, what, what are some of the tips and precautions you can give people about that in specific? What, you know, what okay. are good materials? What are good practices for how you handle your mask? All that type of thing. Okay, that's, that's a great, great, great question because I, I was going to get right into masks. We are, uh, have a lot of confusing information coming out about masks. You have to wear them, don't wear them, etc. Uh, the, the so-called surgical mask, which is the one you can buy in the drugstore, the easiest to get and uh, the most common one, is not the best mask. So we rate the percentage of how much protection it's going to give you. And the uh, surgical mask, the ones that uh, you wear in surgery, um, will give you about 60% protection from these droplet infections that I told you about. So the first thing you've got to do, if you want to know whether or not you have a good mask, is just hold it up to the light. If you hold it up to the light and the light shines through, it's not a good protection, but it's still giving you 60% protection. So it's better than nothing. So I say, if you don't have anything else, wear that. Wear that if you don't have anything else. The best one is the P95. Anything that's made of a heavy cloth is going to block out the big droplets. So if you can wear that, you're going to peak out about 95% of the droplets. So between the two, uh, if you can get a hold of that. The trouble is that mask uh, is going mostly to the uh, medical profession and the people who are working with coronaviruses. They're working with it, and they are keeping themselves healthy. And so they, the people who are in charge of this field, here you have all these people who are being exposed on a daily basis. And it's fantastic. Doctors, nurses. Technicians are being exposed all the time, and there are a lot of uh, health employee, uh, people who are unfortunately dying from it. So they want to get the, the P95 masks to them primarily. But for the average person, if you can find them, they are cloth. Your cloth is better than the other paper or other, other fabrics. But again, even even the surgical one, uh, will give you 60% protection. So for the average person walking through the streets, you're going to have some protection. Now, should you wear them or should you not wear them? And there's been some confusion uh, over the past uh, month or so about wearing them or not wearing them. My recommendation is to do everything you can to keep yourself healthy. And there were, there was sold out of masks. A lot of places didn't have them. If you can get a mask, preferably it would be the P95. But if you can get a mask, and it's uh, not, not that, and it's not a cloth mask, uh, but it's what we call a surgical mask, get it, wear it, because, again, it's going to give you 60% protection. So my general statement is get them and wear them. Now, as far as reusing them, cleaning them, washing them, you can sterilize a mask, and you can do it by spraying on the material um, that's in the household disinfectants. If you'll notice, most of the household disinfectants have on there that they destroy viruses. Well, this is what we're dealing with. We're, deal we're dealing with a virus, and we want to do everything we can to destroy it. So if you can destroy um, the viruses with a spray uh, from the household disinfectants, do it. Just make sure 
that it's dry before you, you put it on. So you can clean them. You can sterilize them. But don't, don't ever forget that if it's a uh, virus, that antibiotics are not going to touch it at all. So make sure whenever, like a lot of, that, a lot of the hand disinfectants um, are good for bacteria that have no effect on a virus. So if you have a hand disinfectant, read the label and see if it will kill a virus. But yes, as far as masks are concerned, I'm a strong believer in them. I, I say the better ones are the P95, which are the heavy cloth or fabric ones, to check to see where the yours is at. Just hold it up to the light and see if the light shines through. If the light doesn't shine through, then you've got a great mask, and you can wear that to protect yourself. 95% of the time, it's going to protect you. But remember, it's these droplets that come from a sneeze or a cough that are causing the problem. And then I told you the droplets uh, get on your hands and all that sort of other kind of stuff um, and get into your body through the face. So you want to keep away. That's why there's the six-foot distance rule because you don't want to be close enough that the droplets, somebody sneezes or coughs, you want to be at least six feet away from them so that droplet that comes out of that sneeze or cough doesn't get on you. Gets on your clothes, gets on your hands, gets in your body. So you're wearing the mask, that's protecting you. You're wearing uh, some sort of protective clothing, uh, if possible, that's protecting you. And you're understanding that you're not going to be closer than six feet. So the two most important things in the isolation, that's why we want you to stay in the house, not to go out, not to expose yourself. Basic principle in public health is that communicability is what transmits all diseases. Now, the problem with that, and this is another interesting uh, point, and uh, we can get into other questions if you have them, but the problem with that is we start to get into this whole world of business, which is, I'm sure, the area that you've been involved in and are involved in. And right. is, is it beneficial to destroy an entire economy, to put us into a recession or a depression, which can cause many more deaths than the uh, virus is causing. And, you know, it's really interesting right now. The statistics are starting to change a little bit. Everything that we do is based upon predictions and estimates. And we have models, and we draw these models up so what's going on in the world? What happened in uh, South Korea? What happened in China? What happened in Italy with all the problems out of Italy? And from the number of deaths they had, from the number of people who got the disease, from the exposures, all these various things, they draw up models and they start predicting how many deaths they're going to be. Well, what's happening now, and the reason the stock market is going over the past couple of days, is the models have been all wrong. They've been off by maybe 40 or 50% as far as predicting what the deaths are going to be. So now you're hearing them talk about the light at the end of the tunnel, that maybe this thing is not going to be as dangerous as it was. But meanwhile, in the interim, look at all the damage that is being done, all the people who are unemployed, all the people who are out of work, and they're starting to have conversations as to, was it wise to do that? Is it wise to do that? 
Well, right. the, public health, the public health people like Dr. Fauci, they are trained, as I was trained, to do that. That's how you deal with infectious diseases. Before we had antibiotics, we always used to isolate. As a matter of fact, going in the 30s and the 40s, if you had measles or any one of those infectious diseases, uh, public health people would come out and put a sign on your door. Do not enter. Infectious disease. And I told you with polio, uh, the swimming yeah. pools, all that stuff right. is closed. So th- th- that, that is the tradition. So the tradition goes that if you can identify, you identify and you isolate. You don't go near it. You stay away from it. And that, that I think, is going on. I think right now the majority of people are following these rules. I think that's yes. very important. And I think because of that, we're seeing the flattening of the curve because the majority yes. of people are impacted by it. And I think that we're probably going to see the businesses open up. Now, this is me. I'm not, I'm not a great businessman. But just because what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, uh, I, think, I think we're going to see the curve decrease. But meanwhile, yeah. especially this week and next week, because there's been Very a lot important. of people had a lot of people who had silent disease. In other words, they had the virus, but they didn't have any symptoms, or they had very mild symptoms. So they've been out for the past two or three weeks transmitting the disease. And now, this week and next week, it's going to come to fruition. So they want to get this week and next week over with, and then start thinking about, we've reached the peak, and once we reach the peak, we're going to start seeing this thing resolved, which hopefully will happen. Hopefully will happen. I hope so, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank goodness for technology so that we can still communicate. You know, it's not like it was back when uh, the the Spanish flu and polio. They didn't have the communication tools that we have today. But, Dr. Jerry, through the years you've always brought us great tips, and today you really helped break down uh, the, 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 the building blocks of this and gave our listeners some terrific tips. I really, really appreciate you coming on. And uh, uh, our audience can get in touch with you best uh, or, or find out more about you. I know you can just Google Ask Dr. Jerry, and you'll find out all about what, this what terrific it? man. Yeah, let me, let me just say also, I am available online. You know, I, I, do, I do have an email. You can contact me. I do a thing called Ask Dr. Jerry where I will answer your questions. So if you have any questions about the things I talked about today, uh, I, I Ask Dr. Jerry is K, the email K J B K O R N at AOL.com. K J B Corn, K O R N A O L. Bill, it was great to be back on, and uh, I look forward to doing future programs with you. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 